This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, we're going to do something a little bit different this week. But before we get into that, we need to acknowledge what today is. So if you're listening to this on time, you're essentially listening to this on June the 6th of 2019, which marks the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And so I know not everybody listening to this podcast is an American or even a Westerner, but this is an incredibly important day uh, to us as Americans, but really for us across the entire world. And so this is not an episode about D-Day, perhaps it's something that I should talk about at some point, but it is an incredible, incredible time when American forces stormed the beaches of Normandy, um, basically in uh, defense of liberty and in uh, basically eradicating evil from this world. And in that case, uh, Nazi, communist, socialist evil. And so uh, it's just one of those things whenever you look at people that are this age range, because a lot of the guys that that died. Uh, of the of the young men that that went on this beach, these kids were teenagers. They were in their early twenties. Uh, a lot of these guys didn't have families. They didn't go to college. I mean, this this was kind of what the soldier was at that time. Now, certainly there were people that were college ed- educated and officers that died and older people that died, but. A lot of young people, right? A lot of really, really young people died on those beaches and and died in the subsequent battles that that led to the defeat of the Nazis. Um, But the thing about it that's so impactful for a guy like me is whenever I listen to what 20-somethings complain about today in 2019... It's absolutely astonishing. But what's funny about that is we can sit here and lament all day long about, oh, these kids, they don't know if they could only know what things were like back in the day. But isn't that kind of why we stormed the beaches to begin with? So that maybe we could worry about frivolous things. I know that's a little bit of a bastardization of, of what went on that day. But the thing about it is, is that was a really hard time to go through. And society can't really handle too many of those hard times, but it took the actions of those brave men going out there and doing what they did so that we could sit here and argue about nonsense, right? I bring that up all the time when people talk about, you know, why do we have gender theory now? Why do we have all this nonsense about transgenderism? Why do we have all these issues that, that seem so outside of the realms of logic and reason It's because we don't have to worry about the Nazis coming over to the United States and killing all of us or enslaving all of us. That's why. And so this is a salute to the men that stormed those beaches that day. Uh, There's very few of those men still alive today, but they are out there. For the love of God, if you know one, if you know someone that served in World War II, go buy that person a drink, buy him lunch, buy him coffee, do something and just sit there and talk to him. Because just the fact that they did something like that, regardless of the circumstances of how they got there, it's still incredible. So this is a salute to the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And now next week's episode, I want to tease that a little bit because it's going to be a very, very special episode for you guys. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be breaking down the debate that went on between Andy Stanley and Jeff Durbin on the Unbelievable podcast. And so if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you've heard me talk about Andy Stanley and Jeff Durbin. You've heard me talk about their separate um, churches and their ministries. You've also heard me talk, I think it was episode 23 of this podcast, where I was basically talking about how a lot of people were calling Andy Stanley a heretic, and I I came to his defense a bit, and one of his most vocal and outspoken critics is Jeff Durbin, and was Jeff Durbin, and so whenever they announced this, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is nerding out in the Christian sphere to an extreme degree, and so I've listened to the podcast, I've listened to the interview, 
And I'm currently in the process of kind of breaking it down because I obviously you guys can listen to it and you know, I'll go ahead and urge you to listen to it on your own. But that's something that I think is really, really interesting that I want to maybe break it down in a way that isn't as narrative driven as, as the podcast ended up being. Cause I thought there were some really interesting undertones and I've talked with some guys uh, that know both of these men's ministries. And, you know, I think it's interesting to kind of get different people's perspectives. So I didn't want to rush that episode, which leads us into what we're going to be doing with today's episode. And so what I'm going to be giving you today is I'm going to be giving you the audio from an interview that I did with a guy named Rainer Wild. And this is a guy uh, that runs this, this men's, I, you can't really call it a, a ministry, but he runs this this men's thing that's called Evolving Wild. And he has a podcast called Lost Man Standing. And so this is a guy that reached out to me on Instagram and then we ended up just connecting and it just made sense for him to interview me on his podcast. And I've been interviewed on quite a few podcasts. And to be honest with you, I haven't really had a stinker yet, yet, you know, in terms of, you know, them interviewing and, and me feeling comfortable with my answers and all that. Like sometimes you go back and you're like, Oh, I kind of misspoke or I could have probably explained that a little bit better, but I feel like just about every single interview that I've done up to this point has gone really well. I feel like they were able to get some points across. They were able to express some of their viewpoints. I was able to kind of get in there and, and speak in a way that would be at least interesting to their audience because a lot of us kind of share a similar audience. But one thing that I'll say that was more unique about this interview is I felt like I was tasked a little bit more intellectually. Um, I felt like uh, Rainer came at this and he definitely did his homework. Right. Like he, he came ready. Like we weren't just kind of waxing poetic about a bunch of random things that are kind of loosely, uh, you know, in the manhood masculine sphere. This guy really kind of dug in to, to me and some of the things that we've done within this ministry. And I thought it was a very good conversation. And this is a guy I, I forget. I can't remember if he exactly spoke about it on the air during our interview or if we talked about it off air. But this is a guy who grew up uh, in an evangelistic family. I think his, his father was like a televangelist, a traveling preacher. And so the the majority of his upbringing was spent, you know, following around a minister. And yet today, I think if I were to, you know, basically put him in a corner, he would probably describe himself as an agnostic. And so in addition to probably being an agnostic, this guy is an intellectual. He is a spiritual person, you know, for whatever that means to, to those of you out there, when you use the word spiritual, you know, it can mean about a billion different things. But I will say of, of all the, the interviews that I've done up to this point, this one's probably my favorite. It's probably my favorite interaction with another individual, uh, especially because I didn't know this guy before we got on to do the interview, right? So everything that you're hearing is flowing. And just so you know, if you ever listen to a podcast where I'm being interviewed on someone else's podcast, almost as a rule, I don't want to know what they're going to ask me if they have any planned questions. I always like to just flow. I don't, I don't want to feel the need to prepare for an interview. I'm not a huge fan of that. And I know some people do. They like to be able to control the narrative. And, and as of this point, maybe I'll change my ideas on it in the future. I haven't felt like anybody's trying to ask me a bunch of gotcha questions like, Oh, we nailed him. He was completely unprepared. He was caught with his pants down. Like nothing like that has happened up to this point. It might happen at some point, but I I really like the idea of just being able to flow. So what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to go ahead and put the audio in here from this interview. And then I'm going to have in the show notes and I'll come back here afterwards. And we'll talk a little bit after the audio clicks out of this interview. And we'll give you some more information as we move forward. And one thing I do want to point out real quick, this might seem 
like a small thing, but it actually, you know, is just one of those things I want to kind of correct the record. When he does part of my intro, so if you're listening to this on his audio or our audio, he introduces me as a couple of things that I would not consider myself to be. So he introduces me as a pastor, and he also introduces me as an MMA fighter. Uh, but I, I think he was just potentially using those terms colloquially uh, because I'm obviously not a pastor. I'm not on staff with any church or, or have any that type of designation. I don't have my MDiv or any of those things. And at the same time, I train MMA, but I've had no MMA fight, so I don't think it would be fair at all to describe me as an MMA fighter. But uh, the reason why I want to be clear about that is because there are some people even here in my backyard here in Oklahoma City that are in the men's ministry space. And uh, let's just say they're they're a little bit comfortable with being called something that they're not. There's a guy in our area that forever people called him a Navy SEAL. They would introduce him uh, as a Navy SEAL. And this was a guy that was in the Navy, but definitely was not a Navy SEAL. And so he never actually corrected the record. And so I think he liked being called a Navy SEAL. And so he's like, well, I didn't tell people uh, that I was a Navy SEAL, so it must be okay. I don't want to operate that way. So I want to be <laughs> as upfront as possible. I train that stuff. You know, I do some certain things that a pastor does, but it is not fair to call me a pastor or an MMA fighter. So as long as we're clear on that, we can move forward. Without further ado, let's go to episode 32 of the Lost Man Standing podcast, which is my interview with Rainer Wild. Hey everyone, welcome to Lost Man Standing, the podcast where we explore spirituality, ecology, and sex through the lens of the sacred masculine. I am your host and guide, Rainer Wild. We have a great podcast for you today, super interesting, Kyle Thompson, Undaunted Life, you probably know him uh, via his podcast where he is out there. I mean, this guy lays it all out. I had about an hour uh, on the line with him. I got to watch him work. He stands the whole time we're talking. Just a ball of nervous, intense energy. I really appreciated it a lot. Listen, Kyle is an interesting dude. He's a pastor. He's an MMA fighter. He trains in jujitsu. He's a reader. He's a he's a poet. He is a scholar. And I gotta be honest, he he's got some some views that I probably don't see eye to eye on. You'll hear me actually challenge him in this podcast a couple times. But what I love is that he he actually engages the dialogue over and over. There is something so. Uh, beautiful about the way that he interacts with challenge. In fact, one of the things I took away from the time that we shared together was this concept that you should routinely expose yourself to things that you do not like, do not agree with, or that will challenge you to make you stronger, smarter, and in the end, to expand your horizons as a person. All right, without further ado, Kyle Thompson. Maybe you could tell me what you think is going on. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain. What you feel. You felt it your entire life. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. This life's hard, man, but it's harder if you're stupid. I've been around, you know. There was a time I could see, and I have seen, but there is nothing like the sight of an amputated spirit. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. 
That's how winning is done. Today, woo, I've got the style and profile like never before. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. And I'm saying, woo, right here. I'm the man. Um, now, yeah, so... I was looking at uh, a promo for you and actually for a devotional that you've written, right? You, you wrote a devotional, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So the Version Bible app, which is, I think that app has been downloaded like 300 or 400 million times or something like that. It's one of the most famous apps on the planet Earth. But um, this was actually kind of the whole start of me getting Undaunted Life content out to people. Uh, because I was clicking through the men's devotionals on this app, because you can just search for apps based on, uh, you know, anger or, you know, the Bible in a year or whatever the thing might be. But I was clicking through the men's devotionals and I was like, man, these things suck. These things are terrible. These are like women's devotionals for men. Like it just, they weren't any good. And I didn't know if it was me, like maybe I was being too judgmental or something. So um, the YouVersion Bible app was actually started here in my backyard by a church here in Oklahoma City. And so I went to someone that was a, a friend of mine at that church, and I said, hey, what's the deal with these these devotionals? He's like, man, if you don't like them, how about you just write one? Nice. And I was like, you could you can do that? I didn't know that was like a thing. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, write it, submit it. If they like it, they'll publish it. And so I wrote a 21-day devotional thinking no one would ever see it, really. I didn't think it would get accepted. It got accepted, and then it was published. And here we are, I don't know, two years later, it's been completed about 50,000 times up to this point. And, you know, that, that kind of launched people saying, Hey, we want more. And so I wrote another devotional. Hey, we want more. Okay. So I launched a podcast. So really the devotional was kind of the catalyst for, for everything that we've started to do through Undaunted Life. Yeah. And I, I when I read the language for it, it was really interesting. And I want to just read it here. Uh, the promo says, can I be manly and spiritual? How can I serve God with my mind? Is my physicality an act of worship? How can Jesus be the lion and the lamb? And, and then obviously in each of uh, these 21 days, you try and lay out answers to those questions while helping men cultivate manly resilience in those three areas, spiritual, mental, and physical. And I'm just so curious, where is all this coming from in you? Who, who are you to, to put this together? Where is this manly quest and spiritual quest coming from? Right. Put a face to it for us. Who are you and uh, that's, why? Yeah, that's, that's a really good way of phrasing the question. It's, you know, cause everyone that's on a manhood journey, that's essentially everybody with a Y chromosome. But beyond that, in modern society, there's there's no declaration of when you become a man. We live in the United States in the West, where there's no rites of passage. There's not something okay. Once you go through this, you are now considered to be a man. You just kind of make it up on your own. So in your head, it may be when you graduate high school, the first time you have sex, the first time you get a big boy job, the first car you buy with your own money. But those are all different reasons for why we become a man. But for me, what I will say is I became a Christian, a follower of Christ when I was a sophomore in high school. And so right around the time when I was trying to figure out what it meant to be a man, I was also trying to figure out what it meant to be a Christian. And what I've realized is those things are fairly divergent, that there's not a whole lot of crossover. And so what I notice is I tend to be a little bit more alpha and more dominant in my personality. I tend to surround myself with guys that are like that, you know, athletes, jujitsu practitioners, fighters, those types of things. And I would always get this tendency when I would talk to some of these guys, they would go to church and for whatever reason, they felt like they had to make a choice. 
And it was, I can either be a Christian or I can be a man, but I can't be both. And so that, that tension, that dichotomy was kind of just like in my soul since I was like in my early twenties. And so it's just something I've thought about a lot. It's something I've talked to other people about a lot, but it finally got to this point where call it God ordained, call it, you know, me having indigestion one day and just making a decision that I was going to do it. I was like, I got to do something about this because I don't want, you know, this alpha type guy to miss out on who Jesus is just because he goes to a church and sees all his followers. And is like, I don't want to be one of these doughboys. If this is what it means to be a Christian, I'm going to go do something else. And unfortunately, even if they're wrong or right, that doesn't matter. The reality is, is guys have missed out on Jesus because of the example that they've seen in his church. And so what we're trying to do through Undaunted Life with the help of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, with everything is to change the dynamic in guys' brains being like, no, 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 you can be alpha, you can be manly, but you can also be a Christian. And it has nothing to do with what you're into. So if you've never hunted before, that's not what I'm talking about. If you don't drive a four-wheel drive truck, I don't care. If you've never choked anybody out before or been choked out yourself, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about what you like as a hobby. I'm talking about, do you cultivate manly resilience on a daily basis? Are you looking for opportunities to cultivate your spiritual, mental, and physical resilience? As long as there are guys willing to do that, we're going to continue to put stuff out. That's really amazing. It actually kind of reminds me, I was talking with a a gentleman in a church that I attended for a while, and uh, he was an FBI agent. And, you know, like a lot of men, you notice when they first start coming to a a spiritual gathering or a church, they start off in one of the 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 front pews or the front quarters of the church and you know within a couple of years they're actually by the back and sometimes in the reception area outside they have unless they've been drafted into leadership or are being paid to be there they are by the exits very shortly and I remember asking him I was like what's going on with you Mike and he's like I feel like every Sunday I come here my balls are being cut off Yes. I mean, dude, that that's probably the perfect, he needs to like put that story on an Instagram uh, post or put that on YouTube or something, because what he's describing is the story and the conversation that I've had with so many different men, because, and I talk about this on my, on my podcast episode number four, it's, you know, I, we talked about it a little bit off air, but it's called pussies in the pews. I kind of detail the history of the church and how it became feminized. Because during the you know 18th, 1800s and 1900s um, and early 20th century, um, you see most of the strong, virile men were operating outside of the church. Maybe they were at war during World War I, World War II. Industrial Revolution sent a lot of those guys into the factory or underground doing all these different kinds of things. And so the only men that were left in the churches were the old, the young, the weak, and the stupid, right? And so if you're... If you're one of those men left, and if you're the pastor, when the overwhelming majority of the people doing anything in your church are female, wouldn't it make sense that the sermon content would get a little bit more towards a for towards the emotive side of things? Wouldn't the decorations become a little bit more feminine? Wouldn't the singing, wouldn't the music, even the lyrical content become a little bit even more homoerotic? Sing about Jesus as if he's your boyfriend, as opposed to being the conquering king, the conquering lion, lion of Judah. We're singing about Tinkerbell Jesus on, on Sundays and now, and it's just like you get these guys that they you, they show up in church, and for whatever reason, it's just like there there might as well be neon signs blinking. This is not for you. We didn't build this with you in mind, and that that's part of the thing is. People ask me all the time, how can the church fix this masculinity problem? You know, how can we get more men to volunteer? For every one male volunteer, we have 10 women. I was like, unfortunately, the church isn't going to be able to fix it because the church 
cause the problem. It's a, it's a parachurch thing. It's something that's going to happen outside the church that infiltrates the church that's going to change that. But yeah, I mean, I feel for your buddy. I absolutely <laughs> feel for your buddy, and he's certainly not alone. I, I actually want to go back to something you said, and it, it triggered a question in me. Is it easier to be masculine without Christianity in this culture? I think the caveat you added at the end makes that a really easy question to answer. In this culture, absolutely. I think it is because here's the thing about it, dude, and you know this to be the case. Most masculinity on a cultural side is caricature masculinity. So it's it's what people would consider to be toxic masculinity. It's smacking your secretary on the butt. It's driving the truck, drinking the beer, chasing the women, hunting. It's when you think of caricature men, manhood type things, growing a beard, like whatever the thing is, that's what people think like, oh, that's what being a man is. Yeah. And you got all the glorious, I know you guys can't see his beard right now, but I can. It's all kinds of glory. He's making me feel little for uh, having a cropped one. But but that's, that's the thing is it's very easy to live up to the cultural standards because culture has cripplingly low expectations for men, especially now. Yeah. And again, like talking about in the West where we don't have rites of passage, manhood is one of those things where people can say at some point, you know what? You're just not a man. Like if, if you, if you're a man and you run out on your wife and leave with the secretary and you leave the kids at home and all those types of things, people are gonna be like, you know what? You're not a man anymore. That's mm. not something a man would do. We don't have a corollary for women. When, when a girl becomes a woman, that's more of a biological reality of what's going on with her body and her biological maturity than it has to do with who she is as a person. Mm-hmm. I mean, if a woman were to leave with the pool boy and leave the husband and all the kids at home or something like that, people are gonna be like, well, you're just not a woman anymore. Like, that's not something that would happen. No. And so, yeah, I think it is much easier to be a man outside the church because when you go to church, getting back to your question, when you go to church, how many people are talking about masculinity? I mean, show up on Father's Day, you're going to get destroyed. Like you're going to get ripped up one side and down the other. And you're going to go to that once a year men's event at your church where they're going to tell you to man up, brother, and we're going to be there for you. And we're going to pray for you. And you were going to do all these different things. You get all super motivated and then nothing changes. So you show up to church and there's no model. No one's giving you a model of this is what Christian manhood looks like. This is what headship is. This is how you are supposed to lead your wife. This is how you're supposed to lead your family. We don't get a lot of those lessons. And if we do, we get it as an aside inside of a sermon series built to tell us how to better love ourselves or something like that. And so it's just, it's something that it's getting harder and harder to do within the church because there's no concerted effort or concerted message to give to the, to the flock as it were. Yeah. Or it strikes me that because churches often aim to be relevant to culture, they borrow the symbols of culture and appropriate them to try and appeal to any population that might come through their doors. So, you know, oh, we really want to connect to men. So what we're going to do is we're going to parade some Harleys uh, down through the front pews. And, and boy, that's really going to fire men up. And then we're going to get them to go to the barbecue later. You know, and, and like, as you said, that's not masculinity. I mean, I, I love a motorcycle, but that's not what makes sure. a man a man, right? Well, I mean, th- I was about to ask you, does stuff like that work on you? No, <laughs> I mean, that's and, the and thing. Why, not? It me why bored. doesn't it work on you? <laughs> well, for one thing, I, I don't think that we can simply borrow consumerism, right? And, and have the concept of we simply need more and more stuff uh, to come to a place of soul and deep soul, right? And that's unfortunately, anytime I start to hear that messaging that you simply need to buy more in order to be more, I just turn off. I mean, I'm done. I'm done with the conversation, especially in a spiritual context. I'm like, yeah, oh, I missed the mark. 
Yeah, I agree with you completely. And and it's funny you say the way you said it, the church that, uh, again, was a church that I attended for a long time. The pastor, Craig Rochelle, wrote this book called Fight. And it was this very, very basic, very read it in an hour men's book or something like that. And I was super excited for it. And there was a men's event you know, mainly to launch his book, but also to kind of get men together at the, at the church. And they had an MMA octagon on the stage. And it was like, you know, red and black and he's coming out and his shirts like extra tight that day. And like, he brought his voice down another octave and he's like, basically growling at everybody. And it was just kind of like, all right, well, Craig's a manly dude. Like anyone that knows Craig Rochelle, he is a manly dude. He's not a fighter. There were, there were, I would say 95% of the people in that gym never threw a punch at someone else's face with ill intent in their entire lives. But we had the, we had the symbol, right? This symbol of the fighter and the book's called fight. And it's got a dude with his hands, his knuckles wrapped and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) And it was like, okay, I get it from a marketing standpoint, but it was like, that was the only men's event the church did that entire year was, hey, let's get together. Let's get a little synopsis of his book. Let's let's invite our friends. There weren't any lives changed that day. There mm. weren't any guys that were like, I was going one way. Now I'm going to go the other way entirely because I read this book, because I saw the knuckles on the screen. None of those things worked. We had the symbols, but we didn't have any of the substance. Yeah. So, so what was it worth? Yeah, you got the Harleys. That's great. So now I get to smell exhaust while I'm trying to sit here listening to your nonsense sermon. But at the same time, it's not doing anything for me. You know what I mean? It's just... And most of the guys, I think, would agree with you and I on that. When I think about Jesus, when I think about Christianity, sometimes I, sometimes I wonder about that, that word you used, substance. And particularly within the conversation we're having, I guess I'm wondering, what's the inherent crossover? Why does a man need Christianity? Uh, that may sound like such a basic intro question for you, but I'm just really curious without, without theology, without, you know, mm-hmm. some kind of uh, dogma, wh- why does a man need Christianity in his life? I would say he doesn't need Christianity. He needs Jesus. Because when you say someone needs Christianity, you're also saying he needs the traditions of the church. You're saying he needs, um, well, I was about to say something almost sacrilegious, and I don't want this to show up later on someone else's uh, podcast. <laughs> or in Kyle an interview. said this, yeah, yeah. No, sorry, sorry. So I caught myself. We're not going to go there. But the thing about it is, is, is men need Jesus um, because Christianity is a description of a reality of something that happened two thousand years ago. They gave it a name so that you could call yourself by that group, by that group title. Uh, again, people weren't even called Christians initially; they were called followers of the way, right? The, the, the initial, the initial reason why people were ended up being called Christians, it was almost like a slur, like, oh, those, those Christ followers, those, those Christians. And so it wasn't a name that was created by Jesus. His last name isn't Christ. It's just kind of one of those deals that people just kind of like picked up. But, but most guys, they get lost, especially like a guy like me didn't grow up in a family that went to church. You know, you and I have very different backgrounds in terms of where we came from and where our theology came from and things like that. Like, I couldn't imagine what it would have been like growing up in a family where presumably the Bible was read or mentioned or that you didn't have to blow the dust off of it once a year to pretend on Easter that you gave a crap. And so it was just a very different upbringing for me. And so the thing about it is, is I feel like guys so much, especially if you're an achiever, if you're like a, 
you know, one of those uh, achiever competitive mindset type folks, you want that list of things that you can do that'll make you a good whatever, Mm -hmm. make you a good football player, make you a good fighter, make you a good dad. But they try to do the same thing with Christianity and then it becomes them just, you know, circle jerking themselves, running, chasing their tails would probably be a more appropriate way of putting it. But it's just kind of one of those deals like, no, men, men don't need Christianity. Like they need Christianity. Like they need a hole in their head. They need Jesus. Mm. Uh, like they, they need the, the influence of the Holy spirit in their life. They, they need God. They need, they need the triune God. They don't, they don't need, you know, traditions and things that have maybe uh, not been passed down effectively through time or something like that. And I'm not talking about scripture. So don't at me with any of your inerrancy issues here, guys, this isn't the <laughs> appropriate way to do that. But, mm. but that, that's kind of what I would say to that man. And, and I mean, even from your perspective, I'm curious, just, since I didn't grow up in church and presumably you were around the church a lot as a kid, how does that same question of going through your dynamic and your background, how would you answer that? You know, first of all, that's not fair. I'm here to, I'm here to ask questions. I don't care. How dare you, sir? It is. (laughs) We're in the octagon now. Okay. Good thing we're not in the same room. It'd probably be bad for me. (laughs) No, I mean, that's a great question. You know, I, it's so interesting hearing what you're saying, and it reminds me of the Stones, the Rolling Stones, and the Beatles. So, arguably, the Beatles are the definition of what the outer limits of rock could be, right? Like, Eleanor Rigby is mm-hmm. a string quartet, and yet it is a quintessential rock song. Um, the The Beatles, though, they grew up dirt poor. They were commoners. They were working class dudes. And yet they are the the elegant statesmen of rock. Right. The outer limits. Meanwhile, you have the Rolling Stones who grew up literally, uh, you know, silver spoons in their mouth, totally privileged. And yet when you listen to their music, they are rough and tumble. They are the streets. They are the very core of rock and roll. So it's so interesting how you can have an upbringing that is one way and end up in a completely different trajectory. So, I mean, hearing you talk, you're far more fundamentalist than I am in many ways. And and we can actually talk about this because you do have some interesting outliers on your your book list, which I do want to ask you about. Um, Mm -hmm. But but I, I think just in general, I think probably you are far more core than I am. And yet it sounds like you had a very different upbringing in the sense that you weren't in that core. You weren't in that place. As you said, though, I grew up very, very traditional. My family was very, very conservative. My father was a televangelist. I saw the lower 48 United States from the backseat of a station wagon while he preached the gospel all around the country. And I think it has produced in me a, a wandering soul. You know, I've gone to all these different continents in search of ascended masters just to try and find something of substance. So I think in answer to your question. I think for me, um, do do men need Christianity? I think there is something essential about what you said about Jesus. I think to me, he is the ultimate rewilder, right? I feel like we've lost something within civilization. We've lost something, and whether we lost that at the fall or whether we lost that when we invented agriculture, whatever it was, we lost something along the way, something wild and primal. And when I read Jesus, I read it and I go, holy shit, this guy is pointing to a different way of living, a way that is is hard to sit with if you're the powers that be. It's hard to sit with unless you allow yourself to be transformed from the inside out. And you instantly begin to challenge the systems when you do. And that's really interesting to me. And for me, I find that terribly countercultural. I find that terribly uh, aggressive. 
uh, assertive and uh, often much more dominant than people wish he were. So absolutely the the thing about it is is you describe something maybe unintentionally there that i think is so key you use the word aggressive mm. countercultural uh, fighting against power to describe jesus yeah now if you walk into a modern church so the last every time i i go and speak in front of a group of guys I, I tend to ask this question out of curiosity but the answers are always the same i say raise your hand if in the last year your pastor at your chosen church which we're talking to guys that are catholic protestant spread out through all kinds of denominations. Raise your hand if you have heard your pastor mention the Lamb of God. Hmm. Every single hand goes up. Totally. I say, hands down. Raise your hand if in the last year your pastor has mentioned the Lion of Judah. One, two, out of a room of 50 to 100. So you have Jesus, who is 100% Lamb of God, and also 100% Lion of Judah. Mm Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is, is we don't talk about the Lion of Judah. That's why our logo is a lion. That's why I sign off every podcast, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Because, and that's not because the Lamb's not important. It's that if you worship at the altar of the Lamb, you're worshiping an incomplete ideal of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it says in Scripture that Jesus came full of grace and truth. We assume fullness in terms of if we're looking at a cup. So if I had two pitchers, I'm going to pour in 50% truth and then 50% grace right? And then we get 100% Jesus. No, no, no. He was 100% grace and 100% truth. He was 100% of both. But most people don't think of Jesus as a man's man. They don't think of him as somebody that was, you know, speaking truth to power or whatever sort of like trope you want to throw out there. They don't think of it in terms of that. And so especially if you're an alpha, if you're a type of guy that follows strength, if strength begets strength inside of your mindset, then that's something that you're drawn towards. But no one wants to follow a boyfriend Jesus, Tinkerbell Jesus. They want to follow this version of Jesus that's just cute, cuddly, and easy to talk about. But that's why modern pastors don't like talking about the Lion of Judah, because he's unpredictable. He's scary. He's aggressive. He's the guy that went through a premeditated form of aggression whenever he turned over the tables in the temple. For the money changers and the people that were selling doves and things like that, there there is no indication that Jesus showed up to that temple with a whip. But we see a description of him driving the money changers out of the temple with a whip. What does that mean? That means Jesus left, yeah. went and found a whip, or went and made one and came back. It was premeditated righteous aggression. Why don't we talk about that enough? Yeah. Right? He there lost are times his shit. When... He lost his shit in that moment. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what happened. But I mean, it's even kind of what you said earlier, whenever you brought up that I'm a little bit more fundamentalist, I'm linear. I'm very linear linear in my brain. I tend to be black and white on issues. So that's why uh, politically, if you give me an issue, I'm probably going to fall starkly on one side or the other. Like we we mentioned off air that about abortion, there's not an argument on the planet earth that someone could give me that would be like, you know what? That's okay. We should probably kill that baby in your stomach. You know what? You're right. You don't have enough money to support this baby. It's definitely better to be dead than it is to be poor. You're right. Let's kill the thing. Like, you're just not going to find that. And so I think for me, just with within my personality, I tend to be more linear. And so I didn't have this crazy, you know, I had a needle jammed into my arm and I was trying to, you know, overdose moment. And then the, the skies parted and Jesus came down and took the needle out of my arm. I didn't have one of those experiences. Damn it. it was, yeah, I know that would have been a whole lot better for your podcast, <laughs> but you know, it was just a Sunday night hellfire and brimstone guest pastor that, you know, came and did something. I was like, man, I don't want to go to hell. That sounds terrible. But then as I became 
you know, more familiar with Christianity, I realize that this is a thinking, thinking man's religion. There's just a bunch of men that don't think within it. Huh. There's, there's a bunch of men that just are like, ah, you know, uh, I don't really know why, but the Bible says so, or my pastor says so. So that's what I believe. It's like, no, no, no. So many of the things that we believe are, are backed up by history, like history, archaeology, you know, writings by secular historians at the time. And so uh, without getting on another diatribe about something else entirely, that's probably why I tend to be a little bit more concrete and fundamentalist. Um, but man, it's just most guys don't even think about thinking, so it's hard to even have that conversation with a lot of them. Well, speaking of thinking about thinking, uh, I got to ask you about some of your books. I mean, this. All right, is... let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> so, if I had to look at your book list, uh, <clears throat> I would read three sort of imperatives. I would take away three imperatives: be Christian, don't be Muslim, don't be gay. So I'm okay. curious, what from your personal world draws you to titles like that that leaves me walking away with those thoughts? Well, for the record, for everyone else listening, none of the books are titled those things. <laughs> so he's trying, he's trying to back me into a corner here. All right, let, let me let me just kind of tease it out a little bit. So part of the thing about cultivating mental resilience, which is something that we talk about a lot, is that you have to read. And people are like, okay, it's got to be more complicated than that. It's like, no, it doesn't. You just need to read books. I don't care how many, I don't care how fast, I don't care how big they are. You need to read books. And so a lot of guys would, would ask me, hey, you know, what books should I read? Which one should I start with? And I would kind of give them the same two or three. But I was like, man, what if, what if a, I gave a guy a suggestion about a leadership book and an apologetics book, but he was really into philosophy or survivalism or money or whatever the thing? Then I basically just gave him something he wasn't interested in. So I started to, I, this is how I cultivated that book list. Books that I had read myself that I got a lot out of, even books that I didn't like that mm-hmm. I knew other people would get a lot of things out of. Mm-hmm. But then I, I messaged probably two dozen of some of my closest guy friends that I knew were, were thinkers and got their lists. Like, mm-hmm. what, are the, what are the books that every man should read? And what it ended up becoming was the 100 books that every modern Christian man should read list. And the thing about some of the titles is, I, th- I think I even put at the top of the website, I can't remember, there's like a little... Uh, warning, like, hey, not all of these come from a Christian worldview. Yeah. I don't agree with every single word and every single idea and all of these things. But there is a book uh, called Washed in Waiting by Wesley Hill. Yep. And this is a guy who is a non-practicing, yeah, yeah. He's a non-practicing homosexual theologian. This is a guy who has only been same-sex attracted. He never had an attraction to women under any circumstances whatsoever. But long story short, this is a guy that for the sake of Christ is going to deny his homoerotic uh, tendencies and, and you know desires so that he can serve Christ. This was a decision that he made. That book challenged me so much because I, you know, I, was, I was an ignorant kid when I read that book and I still use the word faggot. I, that was still something that I use in normal everyday vernacular, which is a very offensive and, and dirty term. But I even did a podcast episode a few months ago called Why I Stopped Using the Word Faggot. That book is the reason why. Mm-hmm. And so this wasn't some sort of book like, hey, read this if you're a homo and this is going to fix you. Like it wasn't one of those things. It was like, man, if there was a guy in my life that was same-sex attracted, he would never think to come and talk to me about it mm-hmm. because I'm the guy that uses the F word, right? I'm the guy that just throws that around and calls his friends that and calls guys on TV that. And so that was a book that really, really changed you know, changed my, my point of view on something like that. But also you mentioned the Islam one. There's a, there's a two books on there by Nabil Qureshi, yeah. who has uh, since passed away. But 
this was a perspective. One was more of a, of a research and history book. One was more of a, an autobiography of Nabil's life. But this was a guy that grew up as a Muslim and was a super devout Muslim and his entire life was dedicated to converting others nonviolently. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the first book kind of talks about his conversion and how he felt like Jesus was like after him almost. And then the second book kind of draws the dichotomy between what Christians believe, what Muslims believe and, and what's actually true or not. And those books are so important. And the biggest reason why I included those in the book list is because pastors don't like talking about fundamentalist Islam. So how many churches can you go into, whether they're Reformed or Presbyterian or whatever, where they're going to talk about fundamentalist Islam? They're going to talk about the things that are said in the Ninth Surah, uh, what the, the concept of abrogation means whenever it's talking, uh, you know, whenever you're talking about that. What is the difference between the Quran and the Hadith? There's so many things that Christians are ignorant on, and that is the number one thing on the planet I can't stand is ignorance. And so that's why a lot of those things were on there. And again, I'm, I'm unapologetic that this is a Christian men's ministry. And so this is the hundred books that every modern Christian man should read list. But if you're a non-theist and we've got a lot that listen to our podcast and that like listening to some of the things I have to say, they kind of tune me out when I start going all Jesus hands on them. And that's completely fine because they're still going to get some value out of that. Because there's a lot of books on there, like 48 Laws of Power. That is not a Christian book. Right. whatsoever like that that is, but that's one of the most incredible books that anybody could read because you're going to get major doses of history major doses of philosophy it's it's going to challenge your brain in such an extreme way and so uh, the book list is always growing and it's always expanding it's not growing it's going to stay at 100 but it's always changing i've taken books off initially that i was like ah oh, what a stupid book why did i put that on there to begin What'd you with take off i gotta hear it what'd you take off what's oh. one Oh gosh, there were a couple of novels just because I don't read tend to read too many novels. Uh, I think one of them was Think and Grow Rich. Oh yeah. Um yeah. and to be fair, that is not a book I had read, but it had been recommended to me by several of the dudes on my list because there are still some books on that list I'm getting to myself because it's not my list, it's it's our list, I guess is the best way that you could say it. But at the same time, I kind of realized that that was like the secret but for money, <laughs> right? I'm going to like put positive vibes out into the universe. And then the universe is going to rain down nickels on me and I'll be, so it was like, it was a very wushu bullshito type of thing. And I just wasn't really, wasn't really into that. So there's a couple of books like that, but then there's other books that I'm like, man, that's a, that's a solid one. And I'm trying to think of one, actually, I got my computer right here in front of me. I'll be able to tell you here in just a second, some of the ones that we've deleted, but it's not because it wasn't like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe I put that out there. That's going to be embarrassing for later. But uh, I think there was a Howard Zinn book on history. Oh yeah. yeah, I, what was it called? All right, People's History I mean, yeah. of the United States. Yep, that's the one. So that's so. I'll okay. I got the list of all four books that I've taken off. So uh, People's History of the United States uh, was on there and uh, rolled off. Uh, Healing the Masculine Soul oh, by yeah. Gordon Dalby. I took yeah. that one off. Interesting. Uh, John Maxwell: The Twenty One Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. To be honest with you, I've never been a John Maxwell fan, but I had a couple of guys suggest that book. But John Maxwell has written the same book 74 times. And so I was like, I just can't. I thought about leaving it on there because I was like, okay, you could read this one and get the general synopsis of everything. Uh, And then the last one was Think and Grow Rich. But, you know, those are still books that I would encourage people to read. I mean, it's not like, oh, my gosh, we got to, like, whitewash our Instagram of everything that we've ever mentioned when it comes to that book. But the thing about it is, is you're not if you're a dude and you go to my book list and you don't find anything interesting, there's not anything wrong with us. There's something wrong with you. Yeah. I like to say about my library. Uh, if you don't, I have a, I have a book that should offend and challenge every single person in there. No matter who yep. you are, there should be at least one book that offends and challenges you. That's well, just that's my the same conviction. thing is you, you strike me as a guy 
that is okay with a little bit of dissonance. And so, you know, I've got a group of guys, uh, as an example, they get together on Sunday nights and we, we call it fight club, but basically it's a glorified book club where we have a book where we get together, we read it on our own, but then we come together and talk about it. Then we do a circuit workout and then we train jujitsu. Most of the guys in there don't have a jujitsu background. They don't have a wrestling background, but this is the only male community they have. They don't have their fraternity anymore. They don't have the military anymore. They don't have the last football team they played on. They have us, right? And it's 12 to 15 guys every Sunday. And it's, it, it goes really well. Wow. Right now we're reading a book called Why Evolution is True. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everyone in that room is a creationist Christian. Huh. But, we, but we're reading this book written by a guy who's, you know, being touted as, you know, he's one of the, one of the great, you know, biological humanist authors, naturalists, whatever he would consider himself to be. And so here we are reading this book. But we're not reading it from the perspective of how can we destroy this book? And the next time we get into a conversation with a biologist, how can we tell him this idea is stupid? It's like he's got something to teach us in there, even if even if the majority of it's hogwash or not fully thought out or not fully described or backed or whatever. Who cares? We're going to learn something from that. And so we're constantly expanding ourselves. We're not just, you know, this echo chamber. We're not just in there reading C.S. Lewis and Rabbi Zacharias. Like we're in there actually trying to expand our knowledge base. Which I love that you quoted, or rather that you just referenced C.S. Lewis. The, the thought that came to mind as you were talking is Lewis's quote that all truth is God's truth. And if, if that is true, then you don't have to actually be scared of truth. Right. You don't have to be scared of facts or those kind of things. And I think a lot of a lot of faith based, whether it's Christian or not, it could also be atheists. Uh, But a lot of people who are very faith based in their approach to the world tend to be scared of facts. They tend to be scared of, of truth. Right. Because it offends their convictions. I think it's a dangerous place to be. I love that you're actually helping challenge men's lives on this. Um, talking about C.S. Lewis, you know, Lewis is someone who struggled an awful lot in life. And I think some of those things have come up in recent biographies. Sexuality was certainly a big part of his life, which has been hidden for many years and has come out in recent years. I'm curious, just talking to you. Um, well, oh, uh, Cormac McCarthy, The Road. That's a book on your on your list, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. I read that. I was a a first time father when it first came out and um man, I just sobbed. I sobbed as a father. It was so hard to read for me. Um so challenging. I- I'm curious if you could talk about some of your struggles as a father and some of your experience as a father just navigating this world cuz I, I want to know you as a as a person beyond ideas, right? H- how has this yeah. impacted you? Yeah, the road, I mean brutal brutal book brutal concept um and and just just so you know up to this point my wife and i we we will have been married 10 years in may of this year we don't have any kids yet oh you don't have Um, kids okay yeah now but 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 your your question still stands and and this is why um you know my wife and i we you know we recently uh lost our second baby um and it's it's one of those deals where uh, the first time it happened, we didn't really know how to deal with it, how to talk with anybody about it. This time, we've we've obviously told more people mm-hmm. about it, uh, even though it still is private-ish. Here I am talking about it on the interwebs. But the thing about it is, is I've I've had the mindset of a father for a very long time. I just have lacked the experience, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm constantly thinking of ways that I can make myself put myself in a better position. One of the reasons why I'm so excited at the idea of having a son. Is so I can make up rites of passage. 
<laughs> right? So that starting at the age of 12, doing something once a year, leading this, this young man to the age of 18 with some sort of culminating event um, where, where he knows that, you know, there, there's something that he's accomplished, that he has developed himself. Because as much as I love my dad, I didn't have that. Right. My parents got divorced when I was 13. Not that big a deal happens to half of us. But it was one of those things. My dad was taken away during a very pivotal part of my life and I didn't get to see him very much. Hmm. And so he did the best he could. But his dad was taken away from him bodily when he was 13 because he was killed by a drunk driver in a car that he was supposed to be in. And so at the same time, he was trying to learn how to become a man you know, he, he didn't have a dad. He had no one to look up to. And at the same age for me, my dad was still alive, but I didn't get to see him very much. And so a a lot of that in terms of how you are a father and how you dote on on other people, it's such an important thing because the one commonality that I get from every dad I talk to is you thought you couldn't love something any more than what you do. And then you have a kid. Um, And it's like, you never thought you had it in you to be violent until you see your baby girl or something like that to where you just, you know, you pull out all these scenarios out of your butt of, okay, what if a dude did this? How many of his fingernails would I pull off before I let him die? Like that, that type of a thing goes into your brain. But um, for me, uh, fatherhood is something that I'm very much so looking forward to if my wife and I are, are able to, to do that um, because it's such an intentional lifestyle. You can be an accidental father and you might accidentally raise someone who's not a convict. But at the same time, if you're if you're doting on the kids, if you're involved in the kids' lives, the odds that they're gonna abuse drugs, the odds that them getting a girl knocked up or getting knocked up themselves, the odds of them dropping out of school, the odds of them you know, committing a crime and going to jail, they go down to an extreme degree. When dad's just around, he doesn't even have to be a good dad, he just has to be around. Most of the statistics are just if dad's in the house, not if dad's any good. And so just the, just the thought of being able to have that level of impact on a human being is uh, something that's really exciting. Yeah. And I'm hearing in your story, some of these threads that come together in that, that devotional, I guess you've written too, but particularly that devotional tagline that really spoke to me as far as cultivating manly resilience. You've experienced resilience in your life, huh? Yeah. That's the thing I try to tell people is, I don't feel like I have an extreme story. Like I've got buddies that, you know, were gang enforcers in Chicago and fighters on hockey teams that one day, you know, literally Jesus snatched them up, right? It wasn't like, oh, come close to me and maybe we can talk. It was like, you're going to be my son now. It was just a different situation. I didn't live a very hard life. I never went hungry. I never went without. I got most of the things that I wanted in every single thing that I needed. But there, there's a reason why we chose the word resilience and why resilience is a common thread in everything. And the reason is, is because most people like to use the word strength. Yeah. And so this is an example I, I use all the time. So, uh, but maybe your listeners haven't heard it this way. So Half Thor Bjornsson, he's the mountain from the show Game of Thrones. He is currently the world's strongest man. This is how we know. He won the last two Arnold Classics. He won the last World's Strongest Man competition and the last European Strong Europe's Strongest Man competition. Those are the three biggest strongman competitions on the planet Earth. Well, the Arnold Classic was about a month ago. He uh, set the world record for elephant bar deadlift over 1,100 pounds. Uh, He's trying to break the all-time deadlift record, which I think would be 501 kilograms, which is 1,100 something something pounds. Anyway, here's the reason. Here's the point for the story. The day after the Arnold Classic. Hafthor Bjornsson was not the strongest man in the world. His body was broken down. Uh, He had had to compete at this insanely high level. 
The day after the Arnold Classic, there was somebody else on the planet that was stronger without fail, 100%, right? But here's the thing about strength is strength will leave us. Father time is undefeated. I guarantee you that 20 years from now, Hathor Bjornsson will not be competing in the Arnold Classic, much less winning it, right? There will be someone else that is the strongest man. Someone else will break the deadlift record. It's going to happen. But resilience is something that you can have forever. The ability to be able to bounce back. And so we normally think about that in terms of physicality. So when you're 20 years old and you roll your ankle versus when you're 60 years old and roll your ankle, you can bounce back pretty fast when you're 20, but when you're 60, you got some other things you got to consider. You're not just going to be able to bounce back. But the same is true about our mentality, what's going on mentally. And the same is true spiritually. Because I know guys that lose their jobs and all of a sudden they're questioning about whether or not God exists. And a guy like me, I'm going to be like, bro, if you had gotten a raise, does God like super exist all of a sudden? Is that the continuum that you're living on? Because he wasn't spiritually or mentally resilient. He didn't have that ability to bounce back. Everyone gets calluses on their hands when they work out, whenever they cut down trees or work out with a barbell. What about callousing your mind? What about callousing your spirit to where something goes not according to plan, as if Genesis, post-Genesis 3 world is the actual world that we live in? Are you prepared to be resilient? Are you prepared to be the one person in your life that everybody else can depend on? I mean, say people have, you know, good and bad that they like to say about Jordan Peterson, but there's a massive concept that Jordan Peterson talks about a lot, which is be the man that everybody depends on at your father's funeral. And it's just like, think about if you've got a good relationship with your dad and he dies Mm -hmm. and think about what you would have to go through to be the number one most dependable person during that time period. Mm -hmm. You have to be resilient. There's not another option at that point. So, so that's a, a lot about why, you know, I put myself in tough situations physically, mentally, and spiritually. I try to read books that are 5 to 10% beyond my mental capability of understanding. I try to, when I compete, here in a couple hours, I'll be on a jiu-jitsu mat with guys that are more athletic, stronger, and more experienced than I am. And those are the guys that I'm going to seek out. I'm not going to go seek out a bunch of busters that I can smoke all day long. I want to continuously push myself. And maybe it's because I'm a lunatic, but maybe there's some, uh, there's some benefit behind it as well. Why are lunatic or the son of God? Is, that, is, this, is this what's happening? <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. It, it's possible. <laughs> it's certainly possible. Dude, this is, this is my complaint about the name of your podcast, uh, episode four, about the pussies in the pews. Because here's the deal. Like, the pussy is so resilient. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I, I, I recorded a I podcast. I did not comment for anybody that was <laughs> expecting a comment, but I will be honest. I did laugh. I got to be honest with you. I did laugh when that was said. <sighs> it's just my pushback against that, that, that horrible aphorism. I'm just like, yes, I think there's, we've got to come up with a better insult that actually is more anatomically true. That's all. That's we, all I'm saying. We did it for you. We did it specifically for this exact moment. We've been, <laughs> we, this is a, this is a culminating event here. For such a time as this. Well, for sure. Well, I mean, it's interesting talking about this because one of the things that it brings up for me is the presence of of the book The Prince by Machiavelli on mm-hmm. on your list. And when I read that, there's a there's a big part of me and I'm very familiar with that book. There's a big part of me that wonders, how does this square with the way of Jesus? How does the prince? I mean, is this the way of the sly man? Is this the way of the serpent that Jesus also said you needed to be shrewd at? Or just tell me. I'm I'm curious. How do, how does that line up? So, the prince being on that book, uh, or being on that book list, rather, um, it has a lot more to do with how that certain book can be applied than the fact that it's just a classic. Because you're going to be hard pressed to find many book lists, whether it's 
10 books or 25 books or 100 books for men where the prince is not on there. Totally. It's a classic. It's a political classic. If you're politically minded, it's a, a psychological classic. It's a philosophy classic. It's all those different things, philosophical classic. But at the end of the day, the reason why the prince is on there is the same reason why Robert Greene's The 48 Laws of Power is on there. Because if you better understand how to manipulate people, I think it's easier for you to understand why you shouldn't if you have a Christian worldview. Mm. So Machiavelli is very much so about deception, right? Yeah. That's why, you know, oh, Tupac's dead because he wrote a song about Machiavelli and he's deceiving everybody. He's on an island somewhere. Like that's the whole thing surrounding him. Even though Machiavelli is so much deeper than that yeah. as, as a political thinker and, and the things he was able to accomplish and the reason why we still know his name. I shouldn't even know how to pronounce that, much less like be able to remember it. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's, it's the same thing that you would say is think about if, if you exercise. So I look back on exercises I did five years ago and I'm like, why did I ever do that? What a stupid exercise. That was bad for my body. It didn't give me the gains that I wanted, blah, blah, blah. I'm smarter now. I know better. But it's because I know better that I can be better, right? Mm. And so if you have a Christian worldview and you're looking at things through a Christian lens and you are unlike the American government in that you do use the gospel as a lens through which you do decision-making mm. and you do planning or whatever way you want to describe it, knowing the way that people think is beneficial for you. Mm. Like, just think about it. We live in a culture that doesn't look at dialogue in the way that it did one generation ago. Everybody has to run to their side of the aisle, right? right? Whether that's political, whether that's personal, whether that's, I like this team, you like that team, so we hate each other. Very dialectical. Absolutely, absolutely. But the thing about it is, is understanding comes in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. And so I love sitting down, having cordial conversations with people that vehemently disagree with me. There's a buddy of mine that he and I, the last time he and I got together, we hung out for three hours. We drank whiskey and we disagreed about everything. We disagreed about, uh, about theism, about abortion, about immigration, about polit- like polit- politics in general, about certain candidates, about movies, about music, about everything. There are like very few areas of crossover where he and I get along. But the whole time we're talking, even whenever he got so offended by me and I got so offended by him, we knew we were going to shake hands and leave that bar as friends. And that's exactly what we did. We shook hands, hugged, and, you know, we just laughed about it the next time we saw each other because there was productive dialogue all throughout that conversation. And it caused both of us to think even days and weeks after the conversation ended, right? And so books like The Prince and 48 Laws of Power and, you know, Meditations and all these different books, they're going to force you to, to look at different parts of who you are and examine whether or not you could physically or mentally do that to somebody. That is the number one overriding thing. I mean, if if you don't sell like 10 copies of the 48 Laws of Power just based off this podcast, you know, I should get a dollar for every time I mentioned it at Affiliate least. Come on, Robert right Green. <laughs> the whole time, that book is a roller coaster no matter what your worldview is. If you think we're highly evolved monkeys that wear pants and communicate with each other using words, like, or if you're, you know, a theist and the earth is only 6,000 years old, you're going to read through that book and be like, oh, that's a really good point. And I could have closed that deal like a month ago, if I had just like mentally ninja this guy, but I didn't do it. But if I had known then what I know now, would I have done it? I mean, it's a call you on the carpet type of thing. That's why we include stuff like that on the list. What I love about, about what you're detailing in your approach to not only the book list, but your approach to life uh, that I'm hearing is you expose yourself 
to difficult situations or challenging situations to build your uh, to build your toughness. Is that right? Is that something you do aggressively? I, I think that's a fair assessment of 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 kind of what I like to do because at the end of the day, I don't get extra bonus points for beating people I should already beat. Right. So, so think about it just in terms of a jujitsu tournament. And if I go in there and I fake my belt level and fake my experience level and go in there and whoop a bunch of people that aren't nearly as good as I am, I've accomplished nothing. I've, I've, I've essentially done nothing. Well, people do that mentally all the time. They only listen to podcasts from people that have the point of view that they do. They only read books from people that agree with their worldview. They're never testing themselves. Hmm. And a good example of that is um, our Sunday school that we have at the church I go to. It's not called a Sunday school. It's called something else, but it's a Sunday school. Um, it's a couple Sunday school. And my wife and I are kind of the young, like the youngest couple. We're the only couple without kids. But we have this long list of uh, topics that can be taught in the class. And the, and the class is taught by like, seven or eight different people. We just kind of, you know, come in for a lesson. Well, I took on the concept of moral relativism last Mm. Sunday. And I've got 30 minutes to take people through a discussion about a topic that you could spend the rest of your life studying and not really get any any semblance of an idea. But the thing about it was, is I told everybody when I launched in, I was like, when I, when I was researching this, I thought it was, wasn't going to take me long. It took me about five times longer to prepare this presentation than I thought it would. And the main reason is because there's so many different pockets and there's so many different rabbit trails that you can take in the subject matter, but it's beyond me. That's why I continue to dig into it. I was like, this subject is going to be very philosophical for some of you. And some of you want me to get up here and tell you how you can better love yourself and, and how you can, you know, just depend on Jesus for all the things you need. And, and those are positive things, but I don't do Ted talks with a few Bible verses sprinkled into it. It's not my style. And so I told everybody, I'm like, strap in. This is going to be hard for all of us. That's what she said. But that, that's just kind of one of those deals where it's like, you know, it's just something that you had to do. It's beyond you. That's how you cultivate it, right? Yeah. And so if you if you ran a mile in seven minutes, try to run it in 6.55 next time. There's always a little bit in the gas tank with your body, with your mind, and with your spirit. And people just have to embrace that. We don't do hard things anymore. We live in an era where we don't have to defend the edges of our property from rival tribes or countries. We don't have to go and kill our, our food. We get the choice to do that. And it's like a vacation when we go and do that. People didn't do that for vacation 200 years ago. They did it to survive. That's why everybody weighed like 120 pounds because it was really, really hard to do and keep everybody sustained. But at the end of the day, you've got to constantly be pushing yourself. Like if you have an easy day, you didn't have a good day. One of my questions as I'm hearing uh, you say this is what's the what's the role of of weakness in this? I I ask I, I recently I had a friend who a tremendous world competitor uh, athlete and recently he just had a tremendous amount of nerve damage and neurological damage that has rendered his body incapacitated. Even the experience of air rushing in touching his skin sends him into just tremors right he's having difficulty even approaching life anymore and i'm sitting here thinking god how does this conversation about strength and mastery and power how does it apply to people who are are really struggling who are just struggling to get out of bed in the morning you know the assumption inherent in your question is that he is now limited. Mm. So if you were to look at him today compared to who he was five years ago, 
yeah, I think limited would be a fair description. Mm-hmm. But he's not limited. He's alive. Mm-hmm. His body works. Yeah. I mean, how many quadriplegics are, are out there like doing big things? I every almost every day on Instagram, I see someone that has like half a torso and like a third of an arm doing a deadlift somehow. I literally saw a guy today that had two prosthetic legs, one prosthetic arm, and he was falling over trying to do a deadlift. But he got it. He eventually got it. That guy has every excuse in the world to sit in bed and die slowly. Mm. But he made a different choice. He made a different idea. What about someone with a learning disability? Mm -hmm. Should they not read something that's 5 to 10% beyond them? Mm. I mean, that may be basic, basic milk for a guy like you or a guy like me. But for them, reading, you know, I I can't even think of an example of a book that would just be an easy, quick read. But for them, that's going to be something that's going to take them a, a long period of time and a lot of effort. But that's why I tell people all the time, it's like, push yourself beyond where you are. Mm. So right now, because of, because of how I am, I'm in really, really good shape. And there's a lot of guys that I work out with that aren't in nearly as good a shape. But that's kind of my job to turn to them and encourage them to, to push past, to embrace the pain, to, to go to that place in their brain where their body's like, dude, you got to stop. And their mind's like, no, keep going. It's just like, that's just something that you have to do. So that would be my encouragement to your buddy is bro. You're alive. Do something with yourself. Mm. Like, and one of the options for doing something is not sitting in your house doing nothing. Yeah. And I think that's our role as, as men, as part of a tribe, as part of a, part of a team, part of a unit, describe it however you want. We have to encourage these guys to stop settling, settling for their circumstances. No one ever wrote a story about a guy that did exactly what he was capable of doing, right? You know, it's always those stories of people who had everything against them and, and there was no way they were going to succeed. And, how, you know, there's just no possible way. Those are the stories that, that we pass down through the ages or that we tell at our family reunions. And so for, for a guy like that, you've still got something to add. So add something. Man, I feel like I want to leave it there because I think that's such a a good wrap up. Is there anything, at least from your stance, that you want to say that you feel like is being left out of this conversation, this dialogue? I want you to have the last word, man. No, I feel like you've you've done a good job, and and you asked um, a lot of questions that that I don't get asked very often. So this was uh, intellectually stimulating and challenging for me at times, which I which I appreciate because sometimes you don't get that. You kind of get the same questions over and over, and and I don't mind answering those. But it is it is nice to kind of go a few different directions. But my, my encouragement to your listeners would be would be this: is you're going to have so many opportunities in your life to cultivate nothing to where you're, you're physically tired, you're mentally exhausted, you're spiritually exasperated, and the easiest thing for you to do would be to take the easiest way out. And that is the number one thing that I want you to not do. Don't look for the easy road out. Don't cut a corner on your run. Don't you know, uh, skim over a section of a book because it disagrees with your sensibilities. Don't ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit because you're you know, jacked up still about something you read in the Old Testament and you don't exactly know what it means and you can't exegete it properly. Don't run away from those opportunities. Christianity is a thinking man's religion. It is a religion that is based on facts. And if you're one of those guys out there that has struggled with that. Maybe the church has treated you poorly. Maybe you were raped by your pastor. Whatever the thing is, whatever story, horrific story that you have, read the gospel of John and then read it again and then read it one more time. And if you don't feel like Jesus is coming after you and that he's trying to communicate something to you, all right, you move on to something else. But give Christianity a shot. 
But even in general, even if you don't like that, come see us. We're on Daunted Life, a man's podcast. Listen to us. Listen to stuff that we have. Send us ideas. We're here for you guys. And as long as y'all are listening, we'll keep putting stuff out. And uh, you're out of Oklahoma City. Is that is that right? Yes, sir. So if someone's in uh, in that region, they can hit you up somehow? Yeah, absolutely. Just shoot me an email, guys. Info at undaunted.life. Info at undaunted.life. Uh, I live in Edmond right outside of Oklahoma City, but I'm Oklahoma City based. And so uh, I'd love to connect with you guys. There, there's actually been several guys that have taken me up on that. They, they come and train on Sundays and do different things. But if there's something I can do specifically for you, even in your area, I had a guy in the UK reach out recently to be on his podcast, a dude in Australia that had a question about this church versus that church. That's the power of social media, guys. Yeah. So if there's anything I can do to assist you, if you've got a, a small group or a men's conference or something like that, and you need a speaker, that's not going to suck. Look us up and, and we'll, we'll do what we can to help you guys out. All right, man. Thanks so much, Kyle. I'm going to, I'm going to sign us off here. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening and uh, stay wild. All right, guys, I know that was a little bit different, but hopefully that was interesting for you guys. Uh, that is a podcast that I would definitely suggest that you check out again. You know, he's not going to always come from the worldview that you might have. You may not uh, share his opinions. That is no excuse to not uh, take in someone else's content. So you should always uh, look for different perspectives. And at the end of this episode uh, here, just before we let you guys out of here, as you know, by now, this is our quick resilience boost. So this is a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental and physical toughness. And so I feel like if you listen to this episode of his podcast, I feel like that's going to happen for a lot of you guys. And I felt like that happened for some of the people that listen in on his stuff as well. So I've got the uh, episode link here for you. So if you want to listen to it on his channel, I've got that here for you in the show notes of this podcast. And also I have his Instagram. So his evolving wild Instagram, it's a very interesting follow. It's a very artistically pleasing thing, if that's what you're into. Um, And so that's a, that's a really good thing. So do what you can to support my buddy Rainer and and I uh, really appreciate y'all listening in today. All right, guys, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen to this podcast. And if you would, share it on social media. If you use the hashtag Undaunted Life, we'll be sure to give it a thumbs up when we find it. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, we're currently still five-star reviewed across the board. So fingers crossed that it stays that way. But that is how this podcast continues to grow. The algorithm likes five-star reviews and likes it when you share it around. All right. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2019. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast, to your men's group, at your coaching team, like whatever the thing, whatever the situation might be, coaching team, hit me up, info at undaunted.life. That's my email, info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undaunted life check out our free devotionals on the uversion bible app just search undaunted life under plans and as always we want to thank the band august burns red for allowing us to use their music library for our content the intro outro track on this podcast is their song king of sorrow which is off their latest record entitled phantom anthem the links to all of this are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep cultivating manly resilience keep forging spiritual mental and physical toughness Keep seeking the Lion of Judah. 